Welcome to the Binge Your Bum Podcast with Ellen Sherman and Gillian Gordon. Oh, God. I, boy, do I really need a drink. What have you been doing? Oh, it's just, uh, just getting the house ready. It's spring cleaning, spring cleaning. I've just been collapsing every day and watching really stupid television. So it, what what's stupid for you? Um, Queen Charlotte. Oh, that is stupid. <laughs> I mean, sorry. It's, se- it's kind of sexy, though. I don't know where they find these guys, but every season... They have a really, really hunky guy. And the guy who plays King George is heaven on earth. Anyway. Um, you would never have thought King George <laughs> would be a heaven on earth kind of part, but okay. Well, but anyway, so what do we have this week? Hey. Well, yes, welcome. Welcome to Binge or Bomb. And, it's Binge or Bomb. And I'm Ellen Sherman and... Gillian Gordon, and I'm a producer and a writer and a cleaner of... Grills. <laughs> good at that. And, and I'm a producer, writer, and I have already cleaned my grill. So, so what do we have today? So we have a really interesting a couple of Norwegian, probably the the gross national product of Norway in terms of television. <laughs> We've got War Sailor, which is a three parter, which is on Netflix. We've got Occupied, which is three seasons, so that's many many hours. And then we've got an American, sort of vaguely English, too. Yeah. It turns out, The Diplomat. Coming up from Norway, War Sailor on Netflix. Gunnar Viken's drama follows the lives of two best friends who are conscripted while at sea in World War II by the Allied forces and their efforts after the war to readjust to civilian life. I mean, it was something that I didn't really know anything about. So, I mean, these guys are just sort of low-level, working on a ship, you know, stoking the fires, cleaning up merchant, yeah, merchandise. And and suddenly, you know, the war starts, and they're conscripted. They have no choice of the matter. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was actually a feature film, which was submitted for the Oscars this year, um, kind of slightly overshadowed, by the more in your face, all quiet on the Western front. This is distinguished by well-drawn characters and searing performances, really. And one of the chief strengths of this beautifully researched script is that it gives equal attention to the civilians at sea in the firing line and the women and the children waiting at home in Bergen, which was, of course, a coastal town, which was, of course, occupied by the Germans at the time. And, of course, the challenges of survival after the war. Uh, lifelong friends Alfred and Sigborn, fondly known to each other as Freddie and Wally, are dock workers in Bergen, and work's drying up, so they offer to sail on a cargo vessel to New York. Like Freddie doesn't want to leave his family because he's got this gorgeous wife, Cecilia, who is actually a really interesting actress, and their three children, because it's going to be an 18-month journey. So he thinks. Yeah, exactly. Um, what we learn is it takes a very, very, very long time for him to come back. Also, I have to say the soundtrack and the musical score, which is really haunting, also added to the incredible atmosphere. Um, there's also these kind of really interesting documentary techniques mm-hmm. that I thought they employed. So when they, when they, when we find out about this ship that's been sunk and all these people that are lost, they use this sort of almost documentary technique where 
there's these shots of these faces and then their names appear on her. And that was kind of an interesting yeah, thing to have in a fictional narrative. Yeah. I really got the sense of the confusion of a war. Yeah. You know, you kind of get the idea sometimes when you're watching other war movies where, you know, this happens and then everybody organizes and they go into the underground and everything. It seemed in this, which is I'm sure true, everybody was very confused about what the occupation meant, because when the Nazis sort of walk in, exactly what was going to be happening, exactly who was in charge. And then the horrible, horrible and true story of the Allied forces bombing of an elementary school in Bergen, you know, which was just one of the most shocking, most horrible things. And you see that the character, Cecilia, who's the the mom, frantically combing the rubble for her children. You know, it's just so heart rendering. Oh, my God. I thought that was such an affecting scene. Mm. I, uh, you know, something puts how I I got shivers just talking about it. Yeah, Yeah. uh, yeah, me too. I mean, because when you think about Turkey and Syria and Mm -hmm. what's happened there, and you, you know, you look at this news footage of people going through the rubble. For some reason, this particular mm-hmm. depiction of it was much more. It was effective. really, it was really real. The jo- drama's focus shifts gracefully throughout the three episodes between sequence at sea and on the home front. And when Freddie and Wally are picked up on a, a raft near death and taken to a hospital in Halifax, there's this seems to be like the end of the ordeal. And you think, yay, they've got them. And you know, there's this horrible. I mean, we're not going to go into details on everything because you got to see it. And then it keeps going. Freddie runs off, and Freddie is the one who has the family. And 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 Wally returns home and is and has nowhere to go, has no money, has you know, these guys were poor to begin with, right, you know. Right. And he stays with the family. And of course, the kids all loved him, and and that turns into a deeper relationship with the wife, mm. which you know, of course, it's completely understandable and but also kind of scandalous, too, isn't yeah. it? I mean, but it was kind of love. It was beautifully done. Well, it's, um, it's, it's interesting also because part of the dichotomy or, or between these two characters of Freddie and Wally mm-hmm. is that Wally, Freddie's the home, is the family man. And his friend is the bachelor, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who, jolly bachelor. You know, jolly yeah. bachelor who doesn't have any entanglements and doesn't have, you know, so. And and really, the truth is, it is is a no. love story between the two of them. Exactly. I mean, the wife gets in there too because, and, and she's amazing. And the way that it works out, because we do see it unfold. And we'd love to hear from you about how you feel about the ending. Because I was, I had very mixed feelings mm. about what mm-hmm. happened. Mm. Was this the way I would have wanted to see it go? You know, well, Freddie does turn up. I mean, we can yes, say yes, that. Yes, yes, he we? does turn up. But then, then this choice is to be made. Clearly, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is. I think. War sailor, above all, is really a poignant salute to the Allied civilian sailors, not only the Norwegians, but also the Canadians, the Brits, the Americans, and all the others that served honorably, but often were denied the same rights as enlisted military and certainly didn't get the nice packages or, you know, bonuses or any of the things that that soldiers got. Well, we, we see when they come home, because their ship was sunk, they're like prevented from getting back pay. Yeah. And also we should point out that which something that I didn't know is that at the end they tell you, I mean, they throughout the series, they keep on telling you how many merchant marine ships are being lost. Yeah. And ultimately 603 Norwegian merchant marine ships were torpedoed and lost. Oh, it was awful. So, it was awful. Know. But also if it were not for those Norwegian uh, Britain would have fallen, and and right. and I think and you know we just we just don't know that we yeah. we didn't know that. No. Um. Look, it's a film of deep sadness, 
and very, very moving. And it really stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah, I absolutely. I, I, Great performances. So what do you think? Oh, definitely a binge. And for you? Definitely a binge. Get your hankies out. <laughs> Up next, The Diplomat on Netflix. In The Diplomat, we meet Kate Weiler, played by Carrie Russell, who's terrific in this, as she was in The Americans. And she is a career diplomat who's headed to Kabul, very tough assignment, on a humanitarian mission to try and mitigate the mess that was left behind when the U.S. withdrew. Moral and ethical, she is one of the diplomats that's not your idea of a glamorous diplomat. She is only comfortable in a pretty dreary black pantsuit with a shoulder bag unfashionably strapped across her shoulder. She's very intense and dedicated and brilliant at what she does. She's also married to Hal played by Rufus Sewell, who's great, uh, who is a diplomatic rock star, really in direct contrast to her. He is flashy, he is smart, and he is charming, and he knows everyone in front of and behind the scenes in the diplomatic world. He's polished where Kate is rumpled, and he loves the backroom drama, and that's something that Kate can't abide. They're a great team, though. They are also getting divorced, maybe. And also there's a moment where their marriage is falling apart, but she has to get ready for something. She has to get ready to, for an appearance. And she goes over to him. I've never seen this happen in any dramatic piece I've ever seen. And she asks him to sniff her armpits to see <laughs> if she has, if the de- if the deodorant is working. Oh, and the character, Rufus Sewell, elegant Rufus Sewell, goes and sniffs Carrie Russell's armpits. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about a couple's relationship, you know, and we also, it's funny, we find out that Hal is so dedicated to her, he can't even have sex with anyone else. But we know he's bad for her. This is, and this is the, the diplomat that they want to send to the court of St. James. Yes, right, right, um, right. You know, we all know that that appointment is all about tea on the lawn. Yes, well, it that's... really doesn't carry a lot of political... Right. So Hal is on a, a slow boil because he is not used to being in the background. And he's a player in the game, but now he's being relegated to being, quote, the wife and playing backseat to Kate in this new assignment she has. We also find out through some strong supporting characters that include uh, a character named Billy, who is the uh, chief of staff to Michael McKean, who's this very irascible, prickly president, and Stuart, who is Kate's new second in command. But unbeknownst to Kate, and they all know this, she is top of the list to replace the current United States vice president who's going to be involved in a soon-to-be-revealed scandal. So this is just really a test in a way this 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 job in London is right. a test to see if she's going to be a good vice president. And it's a pretty president. softball test because, you know, I mean, it's London. What's, what can come yeah. up there? But upon her arrival... You know, things do not, things become not so softball because a British warship is attacked, killing 41 soldiers on board. Anyway, you would think it was a British problem, right? Well, no, because the Brits are convinced that the Iranians are to blame. Mm -hmm. And the bellicose scheming prime minister, Nicole Trowbridge, wants to score political points by taking almost immediate military action against what seems to be the obvious culprits who are the Iranians. And behind Kate's back, though, her meddling but brilliant husband, Hal, has made some very unauthorized 
but very effective calls to find out what's really going on and was it really the Iranians? He has you know some kind of back channel to really write in the Iranian government. And now it's only Kate that can save the Brits from attacking the wrong foe when Hal tells her it absolutely was not the Iranians. And she hates Hal for meddling, but she also knows the value of this intel, and she shares it with the uh, with the prime minister, who very pointedly resists any efforts to derail his vote-grabbing retaliatory strike against the what seems to be the obvious culprits. And he's just such a twat. Yeah, he really. What he's, the right English word. And his foreign sec- secretary, Austin Dennison. He is a really interesting actor. I say woof to him. Woof. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, the foreign secretary, Austin Dennison, is more measured and ethical, but he's hamstrung by Trowbridge. It's very obvious that Dennison and the prickly Kate have instant sexual chemistry. So the plot thickens on that level. I had one of the things that I had a problem with in terms of this show was I wasn't entirely sure what the genre was. You know, is it? Is it a political thriller? You know, is it the West Wing? And I know the writer was Deborah Kahn from Homeland and who also started her mm-hmm. career in West Wing. So, but then it sort of feels like a rom-com because actually, well, that- in spite of all this geopolitical stuff, um, it's actually about a marriage. West Wing probably hits it more than mm-hmm. anything else. It does veer too heavily into the rom-coms thing. The banter back and forth between them really could be cut, Mr. I think. Mr. Mrs. Bicker. Yeah. So over the first season, there is a seesaw of events which involves both cleverly wrought political wheeling and dealing and fairly hot personal drama. For me, what makes this series worth watching is certainly the you know banter between Kate and her husband, who'll do anything to be a player in the diplomatic action and get Kate to stay with him, and the unraveling of this uh, political event. I mean, I applauded the amount of twists and turns they produced, although once again, I wondered if indeed world events usually have this amount of twists and turns. I think they really, it was one of those things but where I felt- that's the kind of rom-com Well, that's the thing. Is, like, that was part of the problem, as I just had mentioned. It's, it's too much banter. It's too much cutesy dialogue. And then there's a scene where there's actually a falling down fight between the two of them in the garden. Which was ridiculous. Come on. It, it really- At, at, at Winfield House. I've been there. Oh, really? Yeah, many times. Is that really? Fourth of July parties. No, no. And actually, that is one of my big criticisms of it. That's not the embassy. That's not where you stay if you No, no. They they rented a a location somewhere. I'm a fan of of, of Russell. You know, I think she's good and she was executive producer on this. So obviously, that she's very committed to it. I, I just think that she doesn't, she's not relaxed and physical. So you have somebody like Rufus Sewell who is. Just stealing every single scene. Yeah, but I mean that's the that's the problem. Is everything is slightly to me over the top. They make the Carrie Russell character, who I mean, she is a diplomat, but they make her so rumpled, and so she's in creased a creased a shirt, and she somehow can't keep her shirt tucked into her pants. You know, really, you can't. I can't believe that that's you know that's how dis, disheveled she was. But, and, but Sewell, I mean, Rufus Sewell really pulls it off. He's petulant. He's childish. He's arrogant. Do we believe their relationship? There. I mean, I think it's a little overscaled. All of this sort of you know could, too good to be true romantic construction. I you know yeah, that's what it, I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a bit uneven, isn't it? Well, it, it's it. The problem for me, and every so often was that was jarring, was that there were things that were too over the top. And then I criticized the production design. I would also criticize the costume department a little bit. I mean, I yeah, thought, I know you you're know, more. You could go. I mean, there was a fabulous red, hot, sexy dress. Yes. Well, but that was kind of like, oh, Miss Jones, take your hair down. Yeah. You know, I mean, finally, like, finally, finally. 
on the basis of the ending of the last episode, which was a huge cliffhanger. I've got to come back for season two. Yeah, we're going to have to come back from season two because they left us in, and that was rather naughty of them. Very <laughs> naughty. Way you say that. Close up. Carrie's tears in her eyes. I'm sorry, that really almost puts me on the fence, actually, because I don't like to be manipulated like that, writers and producers. They are shameless. I think that that's one thing we can say. They're shameless. They do pander a little bit. So what's it going to be? Well, I'm going to give it a binge. And you? I'm giving it a binge... Oh, it could be on the fence. Kind of a tiny binge, if you know what I mean. I don't, I'm you, not on the fence about it because okay. I actually will look at season two. And 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 Carrie and Rufus were a very good pair. And and actually, maybe they'll loosen up, and it will become a little bit more Ka- mm. Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. You know. And for those of you who don't know who that is, Google it. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> so, Everyone knows. Also from Norway, coming up, Occupy on Netflix. There's a reason why we wanted to review this show, which is a th- it's got three seasons. I mean, at first, the first season came out in 2017. So I, I watched it over four, five years, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago. Ellen really thought that this was a good time to look at it, revisit it. And we did. And and I I actually, you know, this is the it's a classic thing. And maybe, you know, I'm the most cynical person obviously on the planet and always <laughs> willing to trash everything. But but actually I had quite liked Occupied. Mm. And I liked it even more when I went back to it. You? Yeah. And look, it's it's a compelling geopolitical drama which depicts a fictional near future in which due to the catastrophic climate situation, as we all know far too well, Norway's prime minister has stopped the country's oil and gas production. And he believes that the age of petroleum is over and thorium, okay, I did look it up, but I hope you know what it is, is the way forward. Russia, with support from the European Union, and I find all I found all that slightly unbelievable, but hey, yeah, why not? Uh, occupies Norway to restore its oil and gas production. You know, and they're the, you know, the big behemoth. Uh, Russia moves in, takes over. It's all peaceful. And yeah. suddenly, you know, about face, they're, they're going to produce oil and gas again. Or not, maybe, mm. due to the... Anyway, one, you know, explosion, one murder... One poisoning, one horrible thing happens after another. And you can't think, you can't believe slightly in this lovely little country that these horrible things are happening. But on the other hand, with the kind of the actors who are involved in the story, yeah, why not? So it is based on an original idea by Joe Nesbo for your Joe Nesbo fans, because uh, big, big, big writer. And Nesbo was really interested in exploring the moral dilemmas faced by ordinary people in extreme situations. So to to parallel probably what his parents or grandparents went through during the German occupation of Norway, what I understand is it was exactly like there they were. They were there. There were three, there were 300,000 troops occupying Norway. 
you know, Norway is told by Russia, this is really temporary. We're just here. And this is what the message they give to the people. And, and with the EU's uh, support. Yeah. We're just here to kind of restart your petrol, your, you know, your petroleum production when everything is, you know, fine and everything is, all the gears are moving uh, smoothly. We're not going to, you know, we're going to leave. So this is, you know, it's just a temporary situation. So that's how the Norwegian government sells it to the people. What, you know, many of whom don't believe it for one tiny second. But they finally leave in season two. Um, and then there's obviously repercussions involved with that. Look, it's a thrill packed, really smart series, you know, where the good guys turn out to be the bad guys and the bad guys aren't really as bad as they seem to be. You know, it's yeah. it's got complexity. The success of this series is the fact that it that it really tells us about politics, it gets inside politics, and it looks at that dark side. It really has you hyperventilating, doesn't it? I mean, this, well, with a kind of climate crisis and invasions. I mean, it looks at it through the eyes of just regular citizens, you know, a restaurateur who's struggling. All of a sudden, there's people that are going to come in and fill yeah, up her, restaurant. her restaurant is failing. So yeah. Russia, she has to let Russians in. Right. right you know, it's, it's, and, and her husband's just a journalist. So she needs the money. And you know, what would you do? They're only here for a little while. You know, these are just regular people. Why shouldn't I serve them? Yeah. And then she becomes a really morally reprehensible person, actually. Yes, it's yes. quite interesting. I mean, that's what's interesting. And then we have uh the 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 president's called Berg, and he's a you know idealistic but pragmatic prime minister, turns out to be a complete crook and well, pretty evil guy in the end. Way more pragmatic than idealistic, unfortunately. <laughs> he has a bodyguard named Hans Martin who ends up being kind of the star of the show in a way. Mm -hmm. And he becomes the head of security, works with the Russians. Is that probably the only decent person in well, the whole story? It's bizarre because he really is caught in the uh, in the middle. He's, he's the head of security for the Norwegians, but then the Russian ambassadoress who is incredible, um, very strange character, takes a liking to him and she wants him to work as a sort of liaison. So he becomes way more important than you would think a bodyguard, which is kind of what he was in the beginning. Um, apparently Putin and the Kremlin hate the show and had a ban, uh, which um, is always good news. Isn't it? I mean, that's a like, success. <laughs> um, anyway, they didn't like the way they were depicted. I'm so shocked. <laughs> You've got to love a show where where the opening scene is you know kind of your classic kind of you know president giving a speech. We've seen the scene all before. There's the security guys in the little black suits, and suddenly, and he goes up in the helicopter and he's being kidnapped. Oh yeah, that was it, great. it was really brilliant. So there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff in it. And then who he's kidnapped by and for what reason is something I would never have guessed. But what unfolds on Occupied is a cheat sheet for all the disquieting trends of our times. I mean, you can't help comparing it to what's going on. I mean, I think the brilliance of the show is you don't really know who to root for. Yeah. And well, who you root for changes from one season to the yeah. next. Should it be this handsome stalwart head of the security services, the crusading Marxist journalist? the apolitical restaurant, or, or really the most interesting character, in my opinion, was the steely Russian diplomat who understands real politics better than anyone. Love, someone you love to hate, really. When I, I thought she was brilliant. And some and she was in some ways, she was very sympathetic. Yeah, she she was doing her job. She's trying to do her job. I loved the series. I think that the way that it paces itself is brilliant. 
I think that they keep you going from one season to the next. There is something to be said for each of the seasons. And the characters do develop, maybe in ways that you don't want them to develop, but they do develop and they do change with the circumstances. So for me, this really became a, a huge binge. And what about you? From the perspective of where we are right now in the world, it's really, really prescient and really, really important to watch it and enjoy it. So binge it. So that wraps up episode 18. Follow us on Instagram. And we urge you to check out our website on bingerbomb.com, which gives you sort of a handy guide to all of our episodes. Check in with us next time when we're going to be uh, reviewing two series on Apple Plus. One is Drops of God, a French series about the wine business. French Japanese. Ah, exactly. French Japanese. I stand corrected. And uh, another uh, series, a French series called Liaison, also on Apple Plus. And what else? Sherwood, which is a fantastic BBC, uh, can be found in Prime Video, right? Is it BBC Prime Video? No, I think BBC. so, yeah. Okay, yeah. Great. yeah. Let us know what you're watching, listening to, observing. We'd love to hear from you. 